Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with false prophets and religions as we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. So whenever any man seeks to make merchandise of you, seeks through gimmicks to encourage you to give through pressure, through various antics, gets on big money kicks. He's a false prophet. And the purpose is to make merchandise of you. And I have no hesitation declaring they are false prophets according to the word of God. You say, oh, but they've done so much good. I may have a counterfeit $20 bill. And someone may come to me and say, Chuck, my family needs help. I lost my job. We don't have any money and my children are hungry, so I give him this counterfeit $20 bill, not knowing that it's counterfeit. So he goes down to the store, and he uses the $20 bill to buy some hamburger and some bread and and some milk, and he feeds his hungry children. And the merchant at the store who takes his $20 bill for the merchandise goes down to the electric company and he pays his electric bill with the $20 bill. And the electric company gives that $20 bill in change to you when you pay your electric bill. And you in turn use that $20 bill to go down and buy yourself a new sweater. And that merchant gives the $20 bill to the gas company to pay his gas bill. And the gas company goes to the bank to deposit the $20 bill, and the teller says, I'm sorry, I can't take this $20 bill. It's counterfeit. Wait a minute. That bill has done a lot of good. It's fed the poor. It's paid the light and gas bill, and it's bought a new sweater. Look how much good it's done. What do you mean you can't take it? It's counterfeit. Well, it's counterfeit. The argument that it has done so much good is not a valid argument. Now, this is the argument that a lot of people use for false prophets or even false religious systems. But look how much good they've done. They're counterfeit. When it comes to the final deposit, (laughs) not going to make it. So God is warning against the false prophets. God had very little, well, really, God doesn't appreciate it when a person comes along and says, thus saith the Lord, and he speaks out of his own heart and really isn't saying God's word. I don't know. You know, I think that the days of computerized typewriters were a great curse to the church. I've gotten more computerized letters from these. Someone's put me on a mailing list. I don't know who it was. But you got my name in the, in the pot, and these guys buy mailing lists from each other. 
And, and if they have a mailing list that they get a certain amount of percentage of returns, then they sell your name at a, if you write in a check, then your name is sold at a premium price to the others. And I got this letter the other day from some guy named Popoff. <laughs> and here a personal prophecy in the thing, thus saith the Lord, I am pleased with thee. And I am going to bless thee, you know, and just share the blessing kind of a thing, you know. And, and all of this stuff. Well, I wrote him back a letter and I said, Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> I am against the false prophets that prophesy in my name, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when I have not spoken. And I knew that the Lord was saying it because I was just quoting him right out of the word. But then I added my own little appendage. I didn't put this under the thus saith the Lord. But I put under my own little appendage, thy name has been Popoff, but even as the name of Saul was changed to Paul, so your name is to be changed from Popoff to Ripoff. No doubt my name will be deleted from his mailing list shortly. <laughs> but there are a lot of rip-off artists who are going around disguising themselves as prophets of God. And as I said, God doesn't appreciate a person speaking for him when he hasn't spoken. And thus, the false prophets in those days were to be put to death. Now in the 19th chapter, again, they are told to establish the cities of refuge, three of them when they come into the land. Three had already been established on the other side of Jordan, but when you come into the land, God would appoint three cities as cities of refuge. Again, the idea being that if you killed someone accidentally, if you and your friend were out chopping wood, and your axe head should fly off of the handle and hit him in the head and kill him, and his, the, the avenger of blood would be angry because you killed his brother and he's chasing you, you could flee to the city of refuge, and there you could be saved from the avenger of blood. He could not come into the city to take you or to kill you. However, the cities of refuge were never to be a refuge from those who were guilty of first de for those who were guilty of first degree murder. Now again in verse 9, God just gives chapter 19 some, some commandments. If thou shalt keep all these commandments to do them, which I command thee this day, to love the Lord thy God and to walk ever in his ways, then thou shalt add three cities more for thee beside these three. In other words, three more cities when you get into the land. Now, the commandment is to love the Lord and to walk ever in his ways. They were not to touch the landmark of their neighbors. Now, in, in those days, they would set up little piles of stones. These stones would be landmarks. When you go through the land of Israel today, you can still see out in the fields these little piles of stones 
which are landmarks, which they have set up in the Arab territory. In the Jewish territory, they don't practice this, but in the Arab territory, in the land of Israel, there on the West Bank, you'll see all these little piles of stones out in the fields, which are the landmarks. Now, you're not to go out at night and move those stones over 10 feet or so. Uh, you're not to remove your neighbor's landmark. That was a, that was a crime that was looked on with great disfavor. Now, if a man would rise up and bear false witness against his neighbor, and it was proved that he had perjured himself in his false witness, his sentence would be whatever kind of a crime he is trying to get pinned on his neighbor. In other words, if you got up and lied and said, well, I saw this man steal that cow, and it was proved that you were lying, you didn't see him, you were just trying to get him in trouble, then you would get the sentence of a cow thief. Whatever sentence would have been meted out against the fellow whom you were trying to incriminate, that sentence would be yours. And if you're trying to incriminate him in a capital offense, then you would be put to death. So whatever you were seeking to have done unto him, shall be put onto you. And thus God wanted them to have a healthy fear of lying as a witness, the perjury. Now when they went to war, chapter 20, against your enemies, and you see the horses and chariots, don't be afraid. For the Lord is with you who brought you out of Egypt. Now, there was, in, among these people, they were, remember, just slaves. And they, they did have fears, fears of battle. They weren't trained fighting men. And in those days, the children of Israel did not have any horses for battle, neither did they have chariots. And having a chariot was like having a tank against infantry in modern warfare. And thus, when they would see these chariots and these horses and, and prancing horses and all pulling these chariots towards them, it would strike fear into the heart. Now, the Lord said, don't be afraid when you see those because I'm going to be with you. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. You know, the consciousness of the presence of God is one of the most fear-dispensing things in the world. It's so glorious to realize God is with me when there are frightening situations that I'm facing. I oftentimes forget that God is with me. And that's when I really get scared. But it's always a comfort when you're faced with some difficult situation to remember, oh, well, God is with us. Because if God be for us, who can be against us? Now they are to go out to the men as they're getting ready to fight. And you're to say unto the troops, don't let your hearts faint, don't fear, do not tremble, don't be terrified. For the Lord your God is going before you to fight for you against your enemies and to save you. And the officers are to speak to the people and say, has any man built a new house yet and has, hasn't had a chance to live in it? 
then that fellow could go home. He wouldn't have to fight because if he were killed in battle, then it would mean he built a house and, and someone else lived in it and he never got a chance to live in it. So he would be excused from battle. How many of you have planted vineyards and you haven't picked the grapes yet? You can all go home because it wouldn't be fair for you to do all the work of planting a vineyard and perhaps be killed in battle and never be able to eat of your vineyard. So those that had built new houses and not lived, how many have been engaged uh, to a wife, betrothed, and, and you haven't yet uh, fulfilled that time of betrothal and the marriage hasn't yet taken place? Those that were engaged to be married were dismissed from battle and were able to go home. And finally, how many of you are afraid to fight? You can go on home too. <laughs> so by the time you were left with your army, you had a pretty good group of really fighting men, you know. They weren't afraid, uh, and they were ready to go, and they, they didn't have any, you know, distractions like some girlfriend that uh, they're engaged to and, and looking forward to the wedding or these kind of things. The fellows that remained to fight were those that were really ready to go. Now, the idea, and it was a very good idea, of sending home those that were fearful is that in the midst of the battle, because they're afraid they might panic and start to run, and that has a kind of a infecting effect upon the other troops. And so those that were fearful were, were sent home. They didn't want fellows there who were apt to panic in the midst of the battle uh, and, and thus create a panic among the troops. So it was a very wise kind of a move indeed. It left you with just really quality fighting men. Now, when you come to a city to take it, first of all, proclaim peace upon the city. And if they open, your, open their gates and surrender, then fine, take over the city. But if they fight against you, then go in, kill all the men, and leave the women and children alive, and then you can uh, use the women and children as servants. And uh, this cattle and the spoil you may take for your own, to eat of it, and thus you shall do to all the cities that are far off, but those cities that are in the land, where the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites are dwelling, then these nations you're to utterly destroy, not to make any peace treaties. You're to wipe these people out completely that they teach you not to do after their abominations which they have done unto their gods, so should ye sin against Jehovah your God. When thou shalt besiege a city a long time and making war against it to take it, thou shalt not destroy the trees of it. Uh, now, the, the purpose of the total eradication of these nations was the, the, the horrible, lascivious practices that were... Uh, going on in these nations, lest they would pollute you. Now, the people did not obey the Lord in this. They did save some of the cities and, and thus became polluted and ultimately were driven out of the land themselves because of the pollutions that they practiced after the manner of the nations that they were to have destroyed. Again, you must see it from God's standpoint to understand it because people always have difficulty when God has ordered the total eradication of a city, of a people. People have a difficulty understanding God's command of, of the total eradication, wiping out everything, everybody. 
The reason why God commanded this is the vile, horrible practices of these people. It would not be proper in mixed company to tell you of some of the normal practices of these people, especially in their worship. They were beyond help, so vile, so low, there was no recovering. By their very practices, they would be in time eradicating themselves. By the incestuous practices, by the bestiality, and all of these things that they were practicing, they would have soon become just a, a, a group of idiotic kind of people and would have destroyed themselves. Thus, God ordered their destruction, lest by their being alive, they would pollute his people and thus bring these polluting, destructive practices among his own people. It would be much like you being a guard at a school, watching over the kindergartners and seeing them out there in the playground and observing a little dog running up the street with foam coming out of its mouth, yipping and nipping at everything. And you immediately recognize the symptoms of this dog's its actions. You know that it has hydrophobia, rabies. Now, would you be justified in killing that little rabid dog before it could get on the school grounds? Or should you just sit there and say, oh, look at that dog. I think it has rabies. Look at it biting all of the children. My. That isn't nice. Little dogs shouldn't bite children like that. Man, I'd fire you so fast. The dog is rabid. It's going to die. It can't live. If it's got rabies, it's doomed to die. But if you don't protect those children, many of those innocent little children will also die because they'll be infected by that rabid dog. Therefore, you would be totally justified in killing that rabid dog. In fact, you would be at fault if you didn't kill that rabid dog. You would be responsible if you allowed that dog to bite the children. You would be responsible for the children's death. Therefore, for the sake of the innocent children, your obligation is to kill the rabid dog, lest it infect the children. Now, these people were like rabid dogs in that their practices were self-destructive. They were destroying themselves and would have destroyed themselves. Yet the practices, because of their nature, were infectious, and there was a danger if God's people would come in and see these vile, abominable practices that they too might enter into some of these practices and thus become infected with this deadly sin by which God would have to then judge 
and eradicate his own children. So God was seeking to protect his innocent children from these destructive practices of these people, and thus he ordered their eradication. Where the nations weren't involved so deeply, God didn't order those, the, that kind of eradication. It was only among these people where these vile, horrible practices were going on. Thus God was protecting his innocent children, trying to keep them from being infected by these deadly practices of the nations that inhabited this land. So God tells them when they are besieging a city, they are not to cut down any fruit trees to use as a bulwark against the city. Just cut down the trees that don't bear fruit to, to use, you know, to build your bulwarks and so forth. Cut down the eucalyptus and the oak and, and trees like that, but don't cut down the olive trees or the apricot trees or those that bear fruit because they will be food for you in time to come. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Deuteronomy on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Deuteronomy 18 through 20 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and keep you in His love and grace. May you be enabled by Him, and may you enter into that fullness that He has for you, walking with the Lord, loving the Lord, listening to the Lord. Alert unto the Lord in these last days when the world around you is walking in its drunken stupor. May your mind and heart be clear and sensitive to God, to the things of the Spirit, in Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. As I look around for a godly example of what a Christian woman should be, I see a lot of women who are concerned about what they look like. But rarely do I see a woman who desires the reflection of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, Kay Smith has written a book for women entitled Reflecting God. Kay teaches women godly attributes, such as how to be joyful when things aren't going so great, or how to be sincere when praying for others, or inspiring them, or how to nurture and influence the people God has placed around you. As Kay teaches God's attributes, 
women will begin to have the mind of Christ. And as this starts to happen within you, outwardly you will become a reflection of God to a world that desperately needs Him. For more information on how to order the book Reflecting God by Kay Smith, as well as an optional study guide to lead a women's Bible study, visit thewordfortoday.org to see a preview of this book or call us at 800-272-WORD.